0: Should you try to act if you're not an actor? My name is Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week, we're kicking off season four of the show by revisiting an old episode from way back in season one about the perils and pitfalls of telling stories when you play. Welcome back to the Snakescast. Joining me this week, Scott Moyle. Hello. And introducing David Kingsmill. Hello there. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, hey. um both of you have a little experience with theater, do you not?
1: Uh, yeah, we, we both work in
0: theater. We do. What, uh, what sort of stuff do you do?
1: Uh, I... Direct Shakespeare primarily, though sometimes other things. Um, I act very occasionally, and I've done a whole bunch of stage combat. I run a theater company called Dauntless City Theater here in Toronto. Probably most famous for doing a bunch of drunk Shakespeare. It's a spectacular
0: drunk Macbeth thing. Drunk Macbeth
1: was pretty wild. I'm told. I don't remember it because I was drunk Macbeth. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, also a regular on Dakota Ring Theater's oldie timey uh, adventure sci fi podcast.
0: Awesome. Where can we find out more about Dauntless?
1: Uh, DauntlessCityTheater.ca. Excellent. David, what sort of
0: theatre
2: stuff have you done? Uh, I've done quite a lot, actually, Uh, over the time. I've settled into writing now. Um, I'm actually trying to be a novelist, but I keep accidentally writing plays while I'm doing it. Um, i have done done some radio drama stuff lately. I have, yes. And that's that's sort of the most recent thing, and that's something that's about to come back with a vengeance, which is I started a podcast last year, uh, which did one episode, and then I realized all my mistakes. (laughs) Uh, So I've taken it down until now, and I'm just about to bring it back up again. And that's called Once Upon a Die, uh, and that will be back a bit. And thanks to your advice, um, it's 50 Percent discussion about a game uh, and 50% radio drama based on a playthrough from said game. Uh, and uh, episode two, I'm expecting to be here hopefully around the end of January, and then I'm going to hopefully make it a bit more regular than it has been.
0: I really enjoyed episode one. when uh, Where can we find out about it? Uh,
2: that's on dragonliterature.com, uh, and there's a podcast uh, tab there. Sweet. Um, I'm about to totally rejig the website, so if that's slightly different by the time you see this, I apologize.
0: But the URL will be the same, right? Yes, dragonliterature.com. Okay, cool. So, uh, based on your experience in the dramatic arts, should people who aren't actors try to act? I mean, is it something you either have it or you don't? And if you don't, should you just not do it?
1: I think training exists for a reason, but everybody has it in them to to stand up and do a little something. It's about how you prepare them for it. Mm -hmm. This is why so much theater has an audience involvement bit. Mm. Uh, a couple of the last Shakespeare's I've directed, we found a way to drag someone on stage and actually make them do a bit of Shakespeare in a small <laughs> walk-on role in, uh, in some of the comedies that can work really well. So I think it's all about how you prepare them for it. That mm. sounds terrifying it failed zero percent of the time it was an absolute (laughs) win every single
2: time we did it
0: would you agree david
2: i would um i I think one of the big things the mantras that i keep around any kind of acting because i'm terrified of improv Uh, i have Mm. no problem doing acting but if you say to me say something funny i clam up immediately but if everybody is being the same kind of idiot no one is being (laughs) no one is being an idiot anymore because you're, everyone's doing the same thing, and therefore the, the boundary of what is considered is idiocy kind of goes somewhere else. Uh, and I think if you, can, if you can get people into that frame of mind, it's not scary anymore.
0: Neat. Well, one of the, uh, the things that came up when we discussed this with Ansgar and Kristen a uh, few years back was the discomfort in... Pretending to be someone who you're not they for the most part they felt okay being themselves in a game like uh, Kristen playing Battlestar Galactica. could be herself on the Galactica, but she couldn't be Starbuck or Boomer Hmm, Um, Right and, uh, and, and and similarly, I think a lot of other people have this problem. I mean, we're all kind of nutty, the three of us. We we love to play games and sort of throw ourselves into the role. But uh, not everybody is like that. I think most of the people who come into Snakes and Lattes aren't like that. Most, uh, indeed, most of the people who listen to this podcast may very well not really be like that. There is, there is hope for them, though, right? I mean, it's not just uh-huh. about... Uh, Picking I, a subject that they're that they're comfortable with and leaving it at that.
1: I would say so. Uh, some of the games I teach the most often at uh, at the cafe are the Resistance, where you are playing a role. I mean, you might just be playing you as a spy, but you as a spy is going to start behaving a little differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Snake Oil, where you're right. you're pitching stuff and making crap up. Um, and in both cases, I think people find a lot of comfort with that really easily because there are good prompts for them. Snake mm. Snakewell gives you a couple of cards to start riffing with. And if, even if you draw two cards at random and have to explain what monkey pants are, you're going to have a good time <laughs> as your brain, brain connects the dots. And three rounds in, everybody will be getting their salesperson
2: voice on it. You see that that game come to life over the course of a few rounds. That's true. The first time I played that with my girlfriend, she adopted a southern accent without even realizing she'd done it. Exactly. <laughs> it was just automatic. I mean, she's an actress as well, so that's kind of a no-brainer for her to to sort of do the performing part.
0: But well, we've all encountered salespeople in mm. our lives. I think in some ways getting into the role of being a salesperson might be a bit easier than getting into the role of being a wizard or something.
2: Well, I think the interesting thing you said was, was talking about somebody finding it difficult to be Starbuck. Because right. I don't think I'd find it particularly easy to be Apollo. I right, could I be myself as the CAG in Battlestar. But, I mean, for me, you know, you, you then run across the old problem, and this is obviously more of a theatre problem than it is, although I suppose with James Bond and things like that, is sure. how do you take over a role that has been established by
0: somebody else? Let's actually, uh, let's look into this from a theatre perspective then. Let's we'll start from there. All right, so in a theatrical context... How do you help non-actors to get comfortable with acting? The
2: closer you can inhabit them, I think, within the role, the better. Because what I was touching on is that in a situation where, uh, for example, a a Broadway actress is taking over a role from somebody else, Mm. uh, one of the things they're going to face is, how do I make this my own? And I feel that's the way to look at it. It's never to try and emulate what's come prior. Um, So if somebody is going to be inhabiting... Uh, such and such a thing being the gag on the battle star is better and sure. the closest i've found to this i think is that i think one of my favorite acting experiences ever was the first time somebody asked me to narrate a game of werewolf uh, <laughs> i had never even played and i had to get somebody to tell me the rules right before i did this and i had a whale of a time because i was being me being a creepy storyteller <laughs> and so you can inhabit that role in a second if it's if if you have a storytelling sort of bone in the body which as a novelist i do anyway but that was so simple, whereas I think if you actually said you have... like well, Spyfall is a great example. I found uh, playing the role level of Spyfall to be much more challenging and stressful, doubly so if you're the spy and trying to fake one. Right. Um, the one time I owned up, I said, I'm in charge of this aeroplane, and the captain was on the table, which <laughs> shot me down immediately. <laughs> but I think that the, the more specific you get about who someone has to be, the harder it becomes, so make it open.
0: If so you're going make, to get make sure people have some latitude for their role mm, so that they feel as though they can make it theirs.
2: Yeah, or give them something to play off as well. I think um, if you manage to get a, uh, uh, a Crossroads card that references your character in Dead of Winter and gives you some story related to them, and spoiler free, the lawyer's one is a really good one on this, <laughs> um, you give them something to play off.
0: So having a good scene partner also uh, mm-hmm. really helps a lot. Having somebody who you can act... Uh, against or with yeah. to uh, sort of bring out the character. Yeah,
1: well, People are also, from an actor's perspective, uh, really into the idea of actions, right? It's very difficult to play a feeling or a state of mind, but it's really easy mm. to do a thing. And yeah. so if you talk about a game in terms of actions, but attach those actions to people, you can have a really good time. Uh, when I teach Cult Express, that game is entirely... Bell does this, and then Django does that, and then Tuco runs away, and then it's, it's entirely characters doing actions. But when I start addressing the players that I'm teaching by their character names, partially because I think it helps them get into it, and partially because it makes life easier for me to get their attention when I'm teaching it to them, but if I start using those character names, then they immediately start to think of it as, you just shot me. Right. Not your Django your piece just, just shot, shot my, my piece. yeah, mm. it, it becomes about you, just shot me, and then you ran away. so I'm gonna run you down and punch all the treasure out of you. And so <laughs> uh, character starts to come out of that and and emotional context starts to come out of that simply because they're focusing on actions that they want to do, which playing actions with intention is actually how acting works. <laughs>
0: Uh, is, is, is that how it works when you bring a volunteer or a quote-unquote volunteer up on stage in the middle of a, uh, a production?
1: In that context, it's it's often more about throwing them their lines. Uh, my favorite example, when we did the Comedy of Errors, we had the, uh, the conjurer, uh, Dr. Pinch, come on as an audience walk-on. So we gave this person a hat and a cape and a book that had one verse couplet, just two lines, printed really big on the only pages it would open to. We glued the rest shut, so this prop was idiot-proof to use. But it looked like he was reading this exorcism out of the book. And, uh, and it was just a matter of, someone will aim you, yell real loud, it'll be fine. And, uh, and as long as we gave them that, like, read the words, be loud, someone will point you, so that, you know, don't worry about the rest of it, um, focusing on a simple task got some very funny
0: performances in the moment. I imagine that uh, at the tabletop as well, you could see that working. Mm, Here's the thing.
2: Well, the Cult Express, as you're saying, is a very good example. And actually, I think while party games and snake oil is great because it sell this thing to this person, but while party games are great, the more you get towards bluffing and backstabbery, the more you're actually going to get acting out of somebody because their shackles, (laughs) no, wrong word, their hackles are actually rising because someone has just, screwed them out of what they wanted to do. And that ticks anyone off. And that's ticking off the character, but that's also ticking off the game player.
0: And that gets you inhabiting the role.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And coming back to Werewolf again, one of the best, one, best games of that I've ever played uh, ended up with one person who was the only villager left alive with three werewolves sitting around them, and all the other people were sitting their eyes open while I was narrating this game, and she went absolutely hysterical, defending herself to a bunch of werewolves because she'd miscounted and didn't realise there wasn't another villager in the game. It was fabulous, but it was all against her, and so that gives you a direction. We, uh,
1: there's a trick I do when I teach bang the dice game, the better bang. Uh, (laughs) It's just the better Oh, it's It's true. true. Bang the dice game,
0: greater than sign, bang the original card game, remember that,
1: folks. But when I teach it, the the sheriff always goes first, the sheriff will do their turn and they'll shoot somebody, whatever, and, uh, and everybody else will be staring at their card trying to figure out how do I play my role, right? How do I outlaw well? How do I, as the renegade, how do I keep this on the down low? The deputy might be going, like, uh, the deputy will often take for granted that their relationship with the sheriff will go off okay. So at the end of the sheriff's turn, so we've got the mechanics in hand, now it's time to think about the rest of it, the thing I will leave them with is, all right, folks, I'm going to ask you a question, and except for the sheriff, we know you're the sheriff, but everybody else has to answer that question with the word me. Here it is. Who's the deputy? And everybody will start to say the word me, not knowing why, but by the end of that syllable, cartoon (laughs) lightning bolts appear, and they all get it. And then the sheriff looks around and goes... Ah, and then everybody starts going, no, I'm really, the. and it gets them really pleading their case and really begging and really engaging from a character-driven kind of perspective. I am so stealing that. It's I, yeah, me such too. a
2: fun moment to watch people figure out what's going on
1: halfway through a word that they are saying.
2: I've also found the most uh, reticent actors suddenly come out of their shell when you give them the renegade. In a big enough game. And I saw someone uh, back in England, uh, before I came back here again, who was genuinely really uncomfortable with improv and acting and anything like that, who convinced the sheriff to actually shoot the deputy. And he was just playing the best (laughs) best renegade ever and had convinced the sheriff that he was the deputy. Uh, And he unfortunately didn't go on to win the game by a matter of a single bullet. Um, But it was one of the best bits of acting I've ever seen from someone who really doesn't want to do it.
0: So, have you ever had a circumstance where you bring out all your best tricks, you're there you're at the game table, you're trying to get people into the whole role-playing thing, the whole storytelling thing, and it's just not working for some reason? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, I think so. What, uh, mm. well, tell, tell me the story. What, what, what went on?
1: Uh, certainly, snake oil is a total non-starter sometimes. Yeah, um, sometimes people can't get past putting down a pair of cards and going, monkey in pants. Because they're used to playing Cards Against Humanity where the card does the work for you. Right. And the idea of engaging is just so far out of their comfort zone that it's not going to happen.
0: And uh, like David was saying, uh, even a professional actors, some of them, uh, improv can be just terrifying because yeah. there's no script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: people are... I think that's a thing is is it's also how do you enter uh, that kind of thing because if you do enter from that perspective of having the script that cards gives you, it's a very different kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. When somebody suddenly says, improv, Go. And it's one of those things that that also defines, I think, whether a table is going to prefer coup or whether they're going to prefer the resistance, uh, which makes me the exception that proves the rule because I actually <laughs> prefer the resistance just by disliking improv. But... Um, I think, yeah, I've had a non-starter on Snake Oil a few times as well. Um, but then I think that's true of anything. I've seen people sitting there looking absolutely glum at a table of five other people who are loving this massive Euro that they're playing. Mm. Uh, and I think pleasing everyone is inherently difficult because some people just won't accept whatever it is that you're putting at them because it's out of their comfort zone. People are different. You know, yep. Their tastes are different. Totally. We,
0: we, we try our best to, uh, to recommend things that are going to be a good fit for the whole table. It's not always possible.
1: There certainly are some games uh, that involve acting but do a good job of... Of accommodating different comfort levels. Mm. Um, I
0: was actually just going to ask if you can meet people halfway. Somebody's trouble cadets. getting in. Space cadets.
1: Space cadets. It's that bridge simulator board. Really, game.
0: space cadets. Really, space
1: cadets. Because we, the captain is an acting part, right? When you're when you're playing the captain in Space Cadets, you start you start playing. Your favorite Star Trek. Game. I'm actually going to take a
0: step back for the benefit of any audience members who aren't familiar with this <laughs> yeah, ridiculous meet- game that Scott just mentioned. <laughs> I've also only played Dice Hotness. Duel,
2: so I don't know the ba- I know the premise of the base so game. So but... Space
0: Cadets is actually a series now. There's the original Space Cadets. There's now Space Cadets Dice Duel. Uh, there's also Space Cadets Away Missions, which is sort of a dungeon crawler in 1950s style fishbowl space helmets. <laughs> um, but so here's the story with uh, with Space Cadets. You are running a ship. Each player has a particular job. The communications officer is playing a tactile game, reaching into a bag, pulling out Tetris pieces, hoping to get the right shape so they can lock onto things. Uh, The weapons officer is playing crokinole, flicking little wooden discs at targets, trying to not go too far so they can hit targets. Uh, one person, the helmsman, is playing Robo-Rally, programming cards. Okay, this is going to move, move one, one space forwards and turn left, and that's going to maybe move two spaces forward, and it's going to accelerate to this speed, trying to move the ship on the board so that it goes to the right place. Engineering's one, playing Wacky Speed carcassone. Yep, trying, <laughs> trying, to, trying to match tiles together, playing a tile-matching game to provide energy <laughs> to the different stations. Uh, the shields officer is playing poker, trying to make hands to uh, put... Uh, and, and one person is trying to manage all of this nonsense. And that is the captain, and it never works, and it's glorious failure. <laughs> it's it's kind of ridiculous. It's yeah,
1: I've never finished a game of that successfully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I've always enjoyed that game. But it does a good job in terms of uh, in terms of if somebody really likes playing a role, give them the captain. They're going to have a blast. If somebody likes playing a role ish. Let them play engineering, because the engineer because the engineer's job is so hard in that game, and <laughs> you can't make everyone happy. You wind up being that guy sitting in the basement of the ship going, I'm trying, I'm sorry, I'm trying. <laughs> um, when, it, again, it forces character through just action and circumstance, but there are roles. The tactical officer can really just play Crokinole in a corner, and they really don't have to act that much. Um, the, uh, the shields, uh, role I think is so, is so technical that they don't need to engage with the theater of it as much. It does a great Although job. they do.
0: Uh, the, the one time when I played Space Cadets, the, the shields officer had, uh, received a last minute, or there's like two minutes left, two seconds left on the timer, and the helmsman said, no, no, we, shield, we need shields on the aft side, on the aft quarter Aft shields high! Moves them over.
1: <laughs> uh, so there is some interaction, for sure. But I think that game does a good job of making room for people who want to, who want to act a
2: lot, and people who want to act a little actually it's funny one of the best improv lines i've ever heard while i've been gaming came out of a game of dice duel and i only just remembered it which was the shields guy when i was playing i was playing the captain um and i was watching the board and it's like i'm rolling these dice and i'm giving you your dice which again for those who don't know it dice duel is this basically but entirely with dice and with two teams and with two teams one one team has a
0: ship over here the other team has a ship over there and they're trying to blow each other up instead of a cooperative thing we're all on the same team
2: yeah and um I was yelling at my shields guy because these guys are getting perfectly within torpedo range and I can see that they've built both of their torpedoes and we're going to die. Uh, and I'm yelling at the shield guy and without even thinking about it, he just went, Damn it, Dave, it's a die, not a tricorder. <laughs> I didn't even see this coming. That's I didn't crazy. even realise he was a Trekkie. I thought he was just having a laugh. And that came out of everywhere and the game stopped for a minute. We literally just went, No, wait. We just need to die laughing and then carry on playing. Uh, and I think there's a thing there as well, as if you want people to really get into a role, put them under pressure. Uh, not <laughs> to do with the acting, but to do with something that's going on. And, and when that you've will got, get
0: them into character.
2: Yeah, and that dice duel is incredibly stressful from within the game mechanics, because you're sitting there non-stop rolling dice, unless someone fires a torpedo, for about 45 minutes. Um, it's incredibly tiring. I needed a drink the first time I played it, but... You've got the other guys coming at you, and it forces people to react. And I actually think reacting is a lot easier than acting sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think there's a good way to get people in as well, is give them something to bounce off within the game as well with each other. So the game becomes
0: almost like a scene partner.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can go fiasco on it if you want and go, here's two people, fight. Mm. But if you actually give them something that they're getting frustrated at and they're running out of time to do, and XCOM can do this as well. (laughs) Um, You know, ah, crap, we're running out of time, hurry up and do this they're going to come back to you much more naturally than they are if they actually have the time to think and realize they're about to act something. So
1: I guess to, to address your point that I completely diverted us away from (laughs) because I'm a bad person. The, uh, the circumstance where it's just a non-starter where people are having an acting game thrown at them and they, that's just not where they're at. It's totally okay to retreat from that. Mm, Um, Yeah. I'm, I am really comfortable, and I've said it with Snake Oil and with lots of other types of games. Um, if after a couple of turns they I come back and they're all sort of looking flattened out and sad, and I can go, hey, not every game is great for everyone. Don't play this for me. Um, <laughs> if it's not working for you, it's not working for anybody. We have 1,300 games on the wall. It's, it's okay to not like one of them. <laughs> it's really okay. Um, I... I have a lot of uh, a lot of love for games that create space for the non actor to have fun in their own way, but it's just discretion's the better part of valor sometimes.
0: And yeah. uh, and harking back to that season one episode, what we found more than anything else as far as getting these those two particular non actors to get into it was the subject matter of the game itself. Mm. Uh, if somebody doesn't like science fiction, Space Cadets isn't going to work for them. No. Um, on the other hand, if they are fans of Harry Potter, then you can totally get them to role play as wizards, and it'll be great.
2: Well, that's it. Or you know, the the other thing is is okay. What is that thing? Okay, you don't like science fiction. Here's Shadows over Camelot. Mm. Run with that, and you'll probably get them out of their shell because they probably just yeah. like a different genre.
1: Role play in a setting they like more. Among... Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Or Fiasco,
2: mm-hmm. which I mean, for those who don't know, is just here's you, here's the other person, interact multiple times, but you create your own scenario there, and there's plenty of settings, and if you want to get your group into some kind of acting situation maybe that's one to look at as well because you can go well let's find a setting everybody likes you like the 1920s done hmm. incidentally in the vein of, of theater and acting uh, I snuck a
1: quote from Falstaff from uh, Henry the IV in, into this episode <laughs> I, I quoted one of his things that's
0: an easter egg folks <laughs> That's it for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Scott, David, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. The SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Thanks for listening. Game on.